Well, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word that you're going to share with us. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak loudly, clearly through me, that each of us would understand your truth, what's really important to you. Lord, help us to know your heart. Help us just to lean back and rest in you. And all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. If you remember, Paul had been dealing with, first of all, those false teachers. And while it will be a thing that Paul comes back to again and again in, in 1 Timothy as well as 2 Timothy, there's a shifting of gears here. While they have been misusing the law, misrepresenting really even who God is and having a, a, a different agenda, Paul now shifts to share his own testimony in the gospel that God has entrusted him with. And your testimony is every time you go out and the world sees you, there's a testimony, there must be a God. Peter picks up that thought when he says that we're living stones. Now these stones, when the children of Israel crossed, if you remember the Jordan, they put up a heap of stones. There's one stone for each tribe. And he's saying that our lives are like that, a testimony. When, when a father and a mother would go by this heap of stones, they'd say, Father, Father, or they would say, Abba, Abba, in that culture. What is this all about? And when we are living stones, people look at us. And there's going to come a point in time that they're going to say, what is this all about? Why is it you do this this way or that way, or you step back from this, or we step back from that? See, we too will have that opportunity to share the gospel. First, we're a testimony, a living testimony, a living stone. But we're going to see that Paul gives a verbal one. And it's only going to be pieces of it. And it is powerful. And it's powerful, your testimony, even if it's only pieces of it. And we don't often consider testimonies as valuable, but I'm going to tell you where the, the most important place for a testimony is, is when you're sharing your faith with someone else. What God has done in your life. They want to know, how does it work in your life? I, I, I see what it looks like, but you need to show them what your life was like before and not glorify that and show them what God has done in your life today. And that testimony is, is effective, and this is what Paul's going to, to really talk about and share. Now, all who, again, have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ ought to have something to say about Jesus. You know, when we do that Sunday after Thanksgiving, when we have our testimony service, that means every one of us ought to have something to say, not only ought to have something to say, but want to say. Because God has been so good to you and me. You got it. Amen. He is. And when someone is so good to you, you want to 
You want to tell the world what he has done. Well, perhaps you remember in John chapter 9, that man that was born blind and Jesus had healed him. Now, the, again, the, the Pharisees were badgering him and trying to find fault with Jesus. And, you know, what has happened to you? In John chapter 9, verse 25, notice what he said. And, and then he answered and says, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And see, that's what happens to every born-again believer. They were once blind spiritually, but now their eyes are opened, and you see the world differently. And as you continue to grow in that Lord Jesus Christ, you will see more and more and more because he gives you greater and greater understanding. This man became a, a testimony. They recognized there was something different. He was blind, but now he sees, and, and everyone knew who he was. Every one of us have a testimony. People should recognize that past life. If you were saved in, in, in older life, like me, I didn't get saved until I was roughly 45 years old. My whole life was changed. My attitudes, the things that I did, the places I went. See, God's in the business of changing lives, changing people. Now, it's really up to us. We, we can either surrender to God or we can continue fighting with them and just saying no. Like a nomad. No, get mad and leave. I'm not going to listen to you, Lord. But when a person surrenders his heart, there'll be a man like, say, John Newton, who was a former slave trader that had written so many songs. Or, or there's Frank Morrison, who wrote a book, Who Moved the Stone? Tried to, to, to prove that it was wrong, but only to find it's right and brought the evidence to the world. Or there's C.S. Lewis, former skeptic who was converted and later authored so many Christian books. Well, what about the Bible? Then there's the, the maniac of Gadara that was changed and transformed, or Matthew, the despised, again, tax collector and traitor of the people, changed and transformed, or, again, blind Bartimaeus and his friend, or the adulterous Samaritan woman, or Zacchaeus, or the Roman sentry who was standing there when Jesus was, again, died, crucified, and was saved, or the Ethiopian eunuch, or the Philippian jailer, his whole household was saved. Or Lydia in Philippi, and her household was saved. I gave you a long list because the list goes on and on and on, and that's the business that God is in, changing lives. You are a new creature in Christ if you've been born again, and that is the testimony. You were blind, but now you see. I was headed the opposite direction, and I did about face. I confessed. I repented. I came to Christ. I trusted in Him. But all the conversions in the Bible, there is none that is tremendous. As Saul, as Paul, a bitter enemy of Christ, whose eyes were opened, if you remember on that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, who became the greatest evangelist, 
and theologian that anyone has ever known. And it's all God. And I'm telling you today that God wants to do a great work in each and every one of you. And you may say, no, well, no, he can't use me, or I'm fearful. Or you could be like me when I first got saved. I'd never read a book in my life. I can't read. I don't understand phonics. God wants to use you if you will let him. He wants to reach out to the people around you, in your community, your family, your friends. But the choice is yours. And the fact is, if you've been born again, he will discipline those he loves. So ultimately, you will be that light, and you will be that witness. Paul's testimony is recorded in Acts 9 and 22 and 26 and Galatians 1 and 2 and Philippians 3 and, and 1 Timothy here. See, God puts great emphasis in a testimony, a, a changed life, because the world can see it. And the world can see there's something different. Well, the, the amazing thing about Paul, Paul never lost his wonder of what God had done and that God saved a wretch like him. And I think that's real important that you need to realize that God lifted you out of the mire and brought you to himself. He cleaned you up. He changed your life. There's a story that um, of an Indian wanted to, and they asked him about his, his testimony. And I haven't shared this for a long time, but the Indian, very graphic and dealt with pictures. And he piled up a bunch of uh, dry leaves in a, in a pile. And he took a, a worm and he put it on these dry leaves. And then he lit the dry leaves on fire. And they began to, to go up with flames and smoke. And then he reached down into the fire with his hand and took that little worm and he held it close to his heart. He says, this is what God has done for me. Has God done that for you? Snatch you out of the flames of hell? You and I, every person in this world, are headed to hell if it were not for the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ reaching down into those flames Snatching us out of him and bringing him, this is the key, to himself. Isn't that the best part? That you can know him? And when we worship, it doesn't matter whether it's loud or soft, but that we worship him in spirit and truth. That when you're worshiping, your spirit is connecting with this one who loves you with an everlasting love. Well, let's read our text together. It's again in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me because he considered me faithful and putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor. Yet I was showing mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant with 
faith and love which were found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I was the foremost of all. Yet, for this reason, I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, the immortal, the invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's powerful when you think about that text. He knows what God has done, and he he sees himself truly. He was the, the chief of sinners. And please understand, I think this is one of the most important points today. You need to see yourself as chief of sinners. That he reached into those fires and snatched you out. And you too have a a testimony of who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do tomorrow. Now look with me at, at verse 15. Let's look what God did. It says it's a trustworthy statement. And it's deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners among whom I'm the foremost of all. It's a trustworthy statement or deserving of acceptance. The gospel facts have proved time and time again true. God comes into a person's life and he changes them from the inside out. It doesn't matter when they come through this door, what baggage they have, but if they are born again, you can watch if they come and they continue in the Lord. They will grow. They will be changed. They will be transformed And if they're not, they will go back out that door because they will be convicted and they don't want to deal with it. Well, here he's saying the good news is good news to those that were blind and headed to hell. And we don't like to talk that way. There's no one here probably wants to talk about hell, but the reality is hell is real And Jesus Christ speaks about it more than anyone else in the Bible because he doesn't want to see anyone go there. In Ezekiel, it talks about he finds no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, even those who are rebellious and hatred. He finds no pleasure. Well, again, this gospel is for all people. There's no one beyond it, in fact, Those who seem to be the farthest away, maybe even the closest to come. It's only a matter of time that God is breaking down those walls, using your life and the life of others and a word here and a word there before they simply come to him and believe and trust and rest in him and learn what it means to surrender their life. Has anyone ever managed to really surrender their life totally? Here's a clue. I can't put my hand up. It's an ongoing thing because there's this battle within us of the flesh. But more and more, each day, each year, we learn to trust him. Now, how do you learn to trust him? Trials. Storms. And you fret and you strive and you try to to take it all on yourself, and guess what? You're a good failure like me, probably. 
In the end, when we give up, He saves us. And when we look back and we remember what He's done, we realize He was faithful all that time. He was there the whole time just wanting for us to cast our cares upon Him. To let Him be in control of your life. After all, I mean, logically, we all know that. We've made a mess of our lives. At least I have. You can't do any worse, only better when you give your life to him. Now, look at the title, though. Notice what it says, Christ Jesus. First, it emphasizes his deity, the deity of the Lord. The one who came from heaven to earth. The one who is, first of all, God of all. He is called Christ, which is his messianic title. He is the anointed one. And he's also Jesus. He's man. He's fully God. He's fully man. And it's interesting, is this one, as he come to the earth, or he came into the world, depending on the translation you have, speaks of his eternal existence. God was always there. Always there. And always will be there. And everyone who trusted him will live for eternity in a world without any pain or sorrow. And you'll never do anything stupid again, I don't think. Because he'll finish the work in you and me. Amen. Why did he come? The scriptures make it clear. He, he came to save sinners. Notice he didn't come, and you'll find it in, in several places, to save good people. No, no, there's all of sin, all fall short of the glory of God. No, there's not one good person. No, not one. He came to save sinners. That's one of the biggest battles that people have is I'm a sinner because they always see themselves better than someone else. In fact, you could probably think about someone you're better than someone else right now. Don't do that because sin is sin. The fact is, he died for you, no matter what that individual sin is, no matter how bad, he died for you. And until a person acknowledges that need of him, and that they are sinners, and they are separated, it's their sin that separates them from him, there is no salvation. Because until you acknowledge it, and there's no repentance, there is no salvation. No sinner's prayer will ever save a person. It's confessing their sin. It's repenting of the sin and crying out to God to come into our lives and change us. Creating me a clean heart, oh God. That's what you need. That's what I need. A heart changed and transformed, circumcised by the hand of the Lord. Now Matthew one twenty one. notice what it says. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save us from our sins. It's our sins that separate us. Yet Paul saw himself as the worst of sinners. My sin is so bad, I don't want to tell you. You understand that. The thing that always amazes me, though, when I tell, the moment that I was born again, I did the worst sin in my life. And most people... They kind of lean forward. They're wanting to know what is that sin that you did? 
It's the same one you did. When you've been born again, you knew you sinned against a holy God. You had that knowledge of sin. And how it grieved the heart of God. And how he had to die upon the cross for you and me. Well, again, now this doesn't mean when he says he, he sees himself as the worst of sinners, it doesn't mean that he continually lived a rebellious life. And some people use that to justify just living in rebellion because one day he's going to finish that work. No, no. But it speaks to the fact that he walked closer and closer with the Lord. That he was in the presence of God. In fact, let me read Isaiah 6, verse 5. And Isaiah is speaking here, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he says, Then I said, Woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, that's what happens when you see the Lord. You see him in, in the word and in your studies, in, in prayer. You're meeting with him. You see him high and lifted up. You see him in his holiness. You see him in his love and his mercy and grace. And how could I live the life I did? And this is what Paul's saying. Now, not only did God save him, but God selected him. I'm careful because I don't want to go into the to election which we'll deal with at another time but notice what it says in verse 12 i thank christ jesus our lord who strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service god had saved him but god also selected him for service and if you're saved you too are selected for service in some capacity now stop and think about israel israel was to be a, a light unto the nations and in Israel is, is this, this path between, again, Europe and Egypt and Asia, and everyone went through there. And whoever controlled these roads controlled the world. And the cities were built upon hills controlling these roads. They were to be a light that when people traveled, the caravans went through, they would come to know who God was. They were to be a light unto the world. He selected them to be that light, to be a, a witness, a testimony, because through, again, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were to be a blessing to all the nations. All the nations would come to know him. Because their disobedience, God has set them aside. And you too, God has saved you that you would be a light and serve him in some capacity. Now look with me at Acts 9, 15, and this is referring to Paul. And the Lord said to him, Go, for he has chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. And why this was speaking of the calling of, of, of Paul, Saul who became Paul, God has chosen you as an instrument. That's what you are in the hands of God. You're used by God in a good way to bring the light, to bring the good news of who Jesus Christ into that world. We too will either be faithful or will be unfaithful or obedient or disobedient. The choice is yours. The opportunities are there each and every day. 
again. Yet, look with me at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10. Paul would go on, For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more, all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. See, Paul was conscious of that grace working in him. To be that light, to be that witness, you need the grace of God. And that grace is abundant, and it's exceedingly, abundantly more than you could ever imagine. And you pray, and you ask God, God, use me. And he's chosen, again, those foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We're all foolish things of the world. We're wise in our own eyes. And he wants to use us for his glory, to impact people for eternity. Maybe a husband, maybe a wife, a brother, a sister, a distant cousin, a neighbor, our man in Home Depot or Walmart. Because they're listening to the conversations They're hearing you. They're watching you. They see the mannerisms different. And sometimes they're going to flippantly say things to you, and I've had that happen to me, just hearing a conversation. But they're going to watch you every time you're in there, and God will use it. Well, the result was that Paul continually directed thanks to Jesus, his Lord. Why? Because he was, in verse 14, the the source of grace. He's the one that that we draw it from. Verse 12 again, it it, it says, who strengthened me. Now God doesn't just choose a person because they're worthy. No, no. He chooses them and renders them worthy. You understand what I'm saying? He's not looking for people worthy or with this gift or that ability. He's looking for availability. People who simply believe and trust and rest in him. And this is what Paul is communicating. Now he's contrasting this false teaching and all this hype to the simplicity of of the gospel message. It's the gospel that changes you. It's not abstaining from this or not doing this or, or doing that. It's simply resting and trusting in Jesus Christ who he is. You can try all day and be a great failure. But when you give your life to Jesus, he changes you. Notice Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, notice, both to will, to work for his good pleasure. It's God that will work in you, will give you new thoughts, will put people on your heart to pray for, to reach out to, to call, to come alongside. In whatever capacity, you have a choice. Be available be obedient, or say no and get mad and leave. I'm not going to listen. And you're going to miss one of the best things that will ever happen to you is being used by God. Now, God graciously saved him, but he also graciously gave him strength. Strength to do what he's called to do. Strength that he didn't deserve. And I, I love it in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and I imagine you probably do too. Notice what it says again. And, and God is able to make all grace abound to you 
so that always having all sufficiency of everything, and you may have abundance in every good deed. God is able. God is able to provide whatever it is that you need. If it's, if it's strength, if it's wisdom, it's peace. Hold the big one. Patience. He'll give you patience. But that means trials. That means storms. Now next, Paul experienced the Savior's entrusting grace. See, God considered him faithful and trustworthy. You ever work for somebody or do something to help somebody and, and they just come up to you and say, well done, or just thank you, you're, you're doing a good job, just kind of a pat on the back? That's what God does. He, God strengthens you. He entrusts you. He gives you the opportunity to, to serve him, to honor him. And you may even fall. And he says, it's okay. He picks you up. Let me show you how I'm going to use that situation, what you said, what you did. And I'm going to use it in spite of you. But he entrusts you. And, and Paul goes on to say that he was entrusted with the gospel. Now, you already know what I'm going to ask next. Aren't you entrusted with the gospel? Are you going to be faithful with the gospel? God says, you're faithful because he sees the finished work that he's going to do in your life. And you're going to take that gospel, you're going to learn to live it, and you're going to learn to share it with others and bring that good news to other people. Well, it was God's grace that put him into service. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so the power of Christ may dwell in me. And it's got to be God. And you see his grace moving, and, and, and it's encouraging, and it's building others, and it's challenging them to take those bold steps, to get out of their comfort zones, and just trust God completely. And this is what Paul had to do. Well, notice again, verse 13, we see, notice, when God did all these things in his life, it's there, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and a violent aggressor. It was when he was in his worst, as the scripture will talk about elsewhere, that's when Christ died for us. God calls us in our worst, and he wants to use us. He snatches us out of those flames and gives us new desires and changes us in our hearts. He says, I can use you if you just give your life to me. And that is precious. Well, again, the, the grace of God was especially vivid in Paul's mind because in the past, he was the, the greatest sinner of all. Yet he needed great grace. And that's important to understand. He, he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor. A blasphemer is the one who slandered God, slandered Jesus Christ, spoke evil of him. Not only that, he encouraged others and tried to force others to blaspheme again the Lord Jesus Christ, compelling others. He seemed as far away as anyone could ever be. Paul couldn't ever get over this. 
that he was a, a blasphemer. But you know what's interesting is God, again, removed him from this place through grace. While his desire was to persecute the church, he replaced it with faith. Faith in, in Jesus Christ. The injurious behavior that he had, again, was revolutionized by a love. A love for the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for the, the lost. The sins of his past had, had been forgiven and, and forgotten, but Paul could never forget his past. And I think that's good that you remember your past. Remember where God is taking you from. And when you're looking forward and you're not in the place where you want to be, knowing that he will take you to that place, notice where he's brought you from, what he's doing, and where he's going to bring you to. Well, Paul could not forget them. The Lord could, and he did. It's that, that when he forgives, that is the Lord, he forgets. But he chooses never to remember. Hint, isn't that a good one? When somebody sins against you, hurts you, mocks you, that you choose never to remember that again? Man, wouldn't there be a lot more peace in this world if we just chose not to remember the hurt, the pain from others? Notice Isaiah 43 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isn't that great? He will not remember your sins. The enemy will always try and remind you, whether it be the devil or an enemy in this world, sadly. Well, again, in verse 13, we see this, this power of grace. And it says, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Well, I'm reminded of Titus 3, 5. Let me read it to you. For he saved us not on the basis of our deeds, which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul was living proof that the truth was expressed that you read in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's right. God's grace is so sufficient. Now, again, despite the, the sinful past, Paul, he was showing mercy. Isn't that amazing, even in your own life? Think of your life. Should you be here? Should God even love you or save you? And yet, he's been merciful to you. God has blessed you beyond anything that you could ever imagine. And he's given you hope and even a reason to live. See, Paul's wretchedness was met with God's compassion. And Paul received this undeserved relief of misery from accompanying a saving grace. How? I see, grace removes the guilt, but mercy takes away the misery caused by the sin. He gives us hope. He gives us reason, things to look for. But the question always rises, how could such a vile sinner as Paul receive mercy? 
And the key is, again, that in, the, in our text there, it says, because he writes, I acted ignorantly. I act in unbelief. He just didn't know. Well, what do you mean? Everyone knew about Jesus. Well, there's different levels of knowledge about Jesus. He heard from others what they said, but personally, he didn't know. He didn't understand. In fact, see, he wasn't this man that was, again, a, a hardened apostate, rejecting the full light uh, of God's will or revelation. He was unlike the, the other Pharisees who understood Christ's teaching but yet hardened their hearts. No. Who rejected him. Paul just heard and acted upon it, thinking that he was doing God's will, but he wasn't in God's will. See, he was ignorant. He was in unbelief, but see, God was going to give him the full light of the gospel truth. And that's what, first of all, our lives should show that, and the words that we speak should bring that to others. That removes, again, any doubt. They'll choose to reject or choose to receive. Now, it's interesting, if you go back and you read it at another time, mark it down, Numbers 15. The passage there deals with those unwittingly, unintentional sins. How does the scripture look at it? How does God look at it? God knows the heart. There's times that you and I may say something, hurt somebody. We, we had well intent, good intentions, but it just backfired in our face. God understands that. And in that passage, it explains when people do things, not with a hardened heart, unintentional, there is a provision made. That provision was made on the Day of Atonement. It would be passed on year to year. But ultimately, that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knows your heart, knows your mind. Well, think again of, of Jesus' own words when he was hanging on the cross. And in Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Stop for a second. Someone ever done something hurtful, really wrong, and you're just anger and lashing out? Jesus' attitude so often is this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Blinded by the God of this world, what we need to do is make sure that they understand the gospel. We need to pray for them that God would open up their hearts. Not harden our hearts, not be angry at them, because they're blinded by the God of this world. Our hearts should grieve when we see those things. When somebody especially hurts you, there should be instant forgiveness in our hearts. Forgiveness just as the Father forgives us. Look with me in Acts 3, verse 17 through 20. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as the rulers did also, but the things which God has announced beforehand by the mouth of all prophets, that is, his Christ would suffer and be fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins will be wiped away in order there be times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ, the appointed one. So there, the, the, the nation of Israel in, in a whole was, again, many of them didn't get it didn't understand. 
believing the wrong people, not examining and testing the facts themselves. And yet, there is still forgiveness. And there will still be knowledge brought to them. You and I may be that one that brings that knowledge to people. Well, look with me in verse 14. We see the measure of grace. The grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which is found in Christ Jesus. Not only was he saved and changed, but he was receiving abundance of faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You know, this is very important that, that you and I, and I know some people are more night owls, and I'm not going to ask who's night owls, and, and some people are more morning people. But I'm going to tell you what I think the most important thing that you do before you really go out to work, you do anything else. Yeah, you can have your coffee. I do too. But you need to really sit in the presence of God before you go out into this world. You need to to read something in his word and ask God the question, what does this tell me about you, Lord? And let him lavish you with his love. Let him show his forgiveness of you in that day. Ask him to show himself in a very special way. You know, the thing that motivates us more than anything else is the knowing the love of God. When your kids are young, maybe you remember that when they were young, they needed encouragement even when they failed. You still love them, even though they didn't make the choices that you would have had to make. Love is something that is important. God loves you even when you make stupid decisions. I've made them. That's why we confess and we repent and we return to him. Well, the flood that from which grace springs really comes from, forth from the faith and love that's in Christ Jesus is knowing him and and he's strengthening you and and reminding you of his faithfulness how he sustained you and and kept you and and this idea of grace just permeates through this whole text God's grace is there in everything that you need he gives us insight into the surpassing measure of, of God's grace which is greater than any of man's sin It's sufficient to meet all of our needs, as we mentioned, because it's a superabundant grace that comes. The faith and love is found in Christ Jesus. Look with me in verse 15. We see the purpose of the grace. It's a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners among whom I'm that foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And what is recorded in, in, in the four Gospels, these four Gospels is so important to understand this. It's been tested and proved. First Timothy, again, one fifteen said, Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. And then in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. In Mark 2, 17, I've come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. In John 18, 37, for this I came in the world to testify to the truth. Paul saying, this is the truth. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. 
it's the place that every person will come to, where they want to or not. They'll either accept the truth or they'll reject the truth. See, when he's talking about in this passage, the world that Jesus came into the world, this is the world of humanity. They're blind, they're lost, they're condemned, and they're hostile to God. They need to know the truth. And when they look at you and me, they should see the truth and the light of who God is. John 3.17 reminds us this, that God did not send his son in the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Jesus Christ has revealed himself to you. You have the words that can set someone free. So it was for this purpose that he found mercy. It's this purpose that you and I found mercy, that we would bring God's plan to sinners, to a lost world. First, that Paul would be saved. Others would be saved. And that we would carry this along. And this is our purpose for salvation. Not just Paul's, but ours as well. To display God's grace, power, and patience. And to produce a true worshiper. Finally, in verse 17, Paul burst out. Notice what he says now to the king eternal. Immortal, invisible, the holy God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's saying, look, he's the eternal one of all ages. He's preexistent. He's from age to age to come. He had no beginning. He has no end. Immortal simply means imperishable, incorruptible. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's invisible. And that means, because he's invisible, unless he reveal himself through you in creation, you and I could never, ever know him. But he's chose to reveal himself. So when he burst out, and, and, and then he says he, again, is the only God, the, the fundamental truth. He is the only God, the true God, the living God. So Paul emphasizes the true gospel and his participation in grace, and that grace is available to the worst of sinners. Again, I'll finish with this verse. Matthew 18, verse 3, it says this, Truly I say to you, unless you be converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That means we need to become like a child. God wants to set us up and he wants us to jump into life and trust him for no matter what it is you and I are going through. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you. It's, it's just not words on a page. It's living word. And I thank you even for today that as we go out of this place, Lord, that this word will live in us, will speak to us, will bring us to a point that you want to get our attention again and talk to us about our lives. That you want to shore us up. You want to remind us of the, the grace and mercy that's available each day and that 
that you have called us and set us apart. You have put us into ministry. And you want to live through us. And you want to work through us. And all God's people said, Amen.